Welcome to The Investigation. I'm Chris Blasto, Senior Executive Producer here at ABC News, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kira Phillips, who's an investigative reporter here at ABC News. Today, we have a special guest. We have Ali Dukakis, who's one of our reporters on the task force team who has really focused a lot of her attention on the Roger Stone aspect of this investigation. And one of the people that she came across is a guy named Michael Caputo, and he is a longtime friend of Donald Trump. I think he's known him for almost 25, 30 years. I think he's also the best friend of, of Roger Stone. He's been in the crosshairs of this investigation for a while, and he's been on TV shows and he's talked, but the one person he hasn't spoken to in a long time since inaugural day is Donald Trump. And that all changed after the Mueller report came out, and he got a call, and he said, the president said, come on down. And so now we're going to hear from him for the first time, talk about that meeting in the Oval Office. Melania Trump was there. Michael, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So glad to have you with us. Days after the Mueller report's release, President Trump called to express his gratitude uh, for your support. And it was the first time you guys actually spoke since Inauguration Day uh, due to the investigation. Um, And then he invited you and your family to actually visit him and Melania at the White House to catch up. Curious to know, first of all, what was it like to get that invitation? And then even more so, we really want to know what you talked about. I can tell you, uh, just getting the telephone call on Monday after lunch was, uh, was I, I, I guess it was just transformative, really, because our family has been through a lot. A lot of families have. I, I think there's between 40 and 50 families and individuals who worked, who worked you know, original Trumpers, as we call ourselves, who uh, were caught up in this as witnesses and therefore became, you know, by varying degrees, um, let's say uh, radioactive, uh, weren't, you know, weren't able to join the administration, et cetera, et cetera. And all of us have endured a very similar circumstances. So after two years of not talking to the president, and, I, and I've known the president for several years. I mean, I first met him in 1988. I worked with him on several projects before the presidential election. Um, it was really transformative. It, you know, I was really uh, appreciative that he expressed remorse that, that that our family and other families had been caught up in this rush hoax, and uh, when he found out that we were jumping in the car like the Griswolds on spring break and really were kind of going down to the uh, the mid Atlantic area to visit friends, he invited us to visit him at the White House. Of course, I, I thought that was a great idea. I'd love to do it. I but I pro- I got to tell you, I didn't think it was going to happen, just because. You know, uh, those kinds of things don't happen to people just from, you know, from Buffalo, New York, who are on their way like the Griswolds getting in their car. And when it did happen, it was really quite something. What did he want to say to you? What did he want to talk to you about? It had been quite a long time since you both had discussed Russian collusion and and the accusations that were out there. What did he want to tell you? Um, I got to tell you, I, I boil it down to... One word, and that, that's invigorating. Uh, we walked away from there completely and absolutely invigorated. You know, our family has been, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, on our heels for quite some time. You know, I've lost my business. Um, we've endured 59 death threats. I had, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of terrible things have happened to us and so many other families. 
And what was really amazing to me, first and foremost, is that the president knew chapter and verse of what's happened to our family. Chapter and verse. And I know him pretty well. I mean, uh, you know, I've been through, I've sat through briefings with him uh, before he became president. You know, uh, the, uh, it's very clear to me that the president has been following what's happening to us. And, uh, and I'm also convinced that he's been following what's happening to General Flynn and, and J.D. Gordon and Carter Page and Roger Stone. I'm convinced of it because if he's following what happened to our family, uh, he's got a broader perspective on this than just us, of course. Was he angry? No, he was, he was absolutely elated. He was so positive. Um, it reminded me of just every other day at Trump Tower. Uh, he seemed like to have not a care in the world. It was really, you know, because I've been reading the press about how he's grousing around the White House and doing everything but talking to the paintings, totally upset, worried he's going to be impeached. He's not the least bit worried, not even for a second. And and I was really struck that, you know, we talked for 35 minutes and Probably about 75% of it was about the investigations and what happened and what's next. But he addressed so much of what he was saying to my wife, which I, I thought was remarkable because my wife is the one that has, who's borne the, the weight of this more than anyone uh, and has really suffered greatly. And, and it was very clear the president knew that. And, and he was directing his sympathy, not just to myself and my four-year-old and my six-year-old and my mother-in-law from Ukraine, by the way, but also to my wife and focused on making her feel better. She's been so upset for the last two years. She actually walked away from the White House, and a couple hours later she came to me and she said, you know what, it's okay now. That was really valuable to us. And how did you leave it with the president when you left the Oval Office? Are you going to uh, see gonna him again? We're going to again soon. Are you going to I, I work for his reelection? I, I told him I wanted to uh, that I've enjoyed defending him on television. I get on national television uh, three, four times a week. You know, I swing for the fences for him all the time. I, I've never been in touch with the talking points machine at the White House. I've been totally independent all the way down the line. I've never been briefed by the White House before an important interview. I just spoke my mind, and I, you know, it was interesting because the first lady, especially told me how much she appreciated the things that I said and actually to told me back, uh, a, a, you know, a couple of things that I said on TV weeks ago. And, you know, I told him, I said, listen, I've really enjoyed doing this as bad as this has been, and I want to help whoever I can. And, and he said, that's a great idea. So we'll see where it goes. But honestly, though, guys, for people to be talking about 2020, you know, my family is still stuck in 2016. So I got to get past 2016, uh, before I start talking about 2020. What about your friend Roger Stone? Did you guys talk about him? And obviously he's facing a real trial coming up. Uh, we did not mention Roger's name. Uh, Roger is my best friend, and the president knows that. I, I think he was being careful not to mention his name. I'm very, very concerned. I know the president is, too. And Michael, so... You and Roger are very good friends. You've known each other for decades. You started out in the 80s as his driver at Black Manafort and Stone. Uh, where do you see the chips falling for Roger? Roger's my best friend. Uh, I've known him for a long time, as you said. And for months, every Friday was going to be Roger Stone Day, you know, because they did these uh, raids and arrests on Friday mornings. And, uh, Allie, we talk a lot. I know you talk to everybody on all sides of this thing. Uh, you're following this better than most people are. 
I mean, we talked about on some Thursdays about how tomorrow was Roger Stone Day. It didn't end up to be Roger Stone Day until late late January, but it was going to be Roger Stone Day for about five months. And every Thursday night, we would talk on the phone, Roger and I, and he would tell me what suit he was laying out and what tie he was wearing, and saying that on Thursday nights he would always shave. And that, was, that had to tear him apart. I can tell you it was a lot of pressure. In the end, he stopped laying out those suits and just wore that Roger Stone did nothing wrong T-shirt to bed. But you'll notice that morning when he was arrested that Friday morning in late January, he was clean-shaven. So I can tell you Roger has more of a shot at beating the charges against him than anybody has had in this entire uh, Russia hoax. One reason, above all, is that he's getting tremendous amount of support from, from donors to pay for his legal fees. But also because I think these charges are thin at best, and they rely upon uh, testimony from people like Randy Credico, who's an oddball's oddball. And I, I, I think, if you ask me, uh, you know, I'm not allowed to talk to Roger anymore. Um, I'm on some kind of list, a uh, no-talk-to list for Roger. Uh, uh, that was put out there. Um, our attorneys spoke, and now we don't. You know, Roger and I spoke every day for 30 years, sometimes three, four, five times a day. I haven't spoken to my best friend since late January. Do so. you think it's selective prosecution against Roger Stone? Oh, I definitely do. First of all, there was no collusion, and Roger's whole uh, uh, the whole spin against Roger is he was conduit to to WikiLeaks, and and of course uh, that was all up to Jerry Corsi and. And uh, Randy Credico, the comedian, uh, the conspiracy theorist and the comedian, uh, where, where they were trying to build that case. There was no Russian collusion, as we know today. They threw up their hands, according to some of the reporting out there, when, you know, with uh, Jerry Corsi and just walked away from him because of the, you know, the, the, odd way, you know, the odd things he was saying and the unreliable nature of his testimony. But, you know, Rogers, the allegations against Roger... Uh, are completely different, and, and when, if you look at them, they're about lying to Congress. They're about some of the abusive language he used against Credico. Uh, I think Roger uh, is being prosecuted at the end here because he is by far the one person closest to the president out of all the people that they were hunting down. They couldn't get his son, Don Jr. They couldn't get Ivanka or any of the other members of the family. Um, they got Michael Cohen, but... You know, uh, Roger Stone is someone who's been around the president for much longer than Michael Cohen, much longer than any of us, and I think that you could count them as very close friends. If they can't get the president, I think they believe that they might as well get one of his dearest friends. That's the jackpot Roger's in. I think it's really dangerous. And you think the president will be watching through his trial in November? I think the president is watching everything. You know, Allie, we spoke about this before. I I thought, you know, I'm on my own. You know, I, I had to raise my own money, and when it came to all the death threats against my family, you know, I carry a, a, a 40 caliber Glock everywhere I go. I have a shotgun station by my front door and my back door. We have to take care of ourselves. Carter Page tells me the same thing, that all of his death threats, he has, you know, this, is a, this is a singular, individual, <clears throat> lonely road to travel. I didn't know that the president was paying attention. One of the reasons why my wife feels so much better now is, is that we, it's very clear that the president and the first lady are watching this very closely. And I want people who, uh, of, the, of the 50 families who suffered like our family and they still suffer in silence trying to avoid the spotlight so that their lives aren't ruined. I want everybody 
who's still in the uh, in the crosshairs of this investigation to know that the president and the first lady are paying close attention, and they're not alone. And Michael, you said that the president didn't mention Roger by name. Did he mention him not by name? Do you think he referred no, to I him mean, at all? I, he spoke about how everyone being uh, abused by this, you know, how people uh, were tortured. And, and, and I, I heard Roger's name in those sentences, but I also heard J.D. Gordon and, and Carter Page and, and General Flynn especially. Uh, I think the president is paying very close attention to everyone who was abused by this investigation. Do you think he'll pardon any of these individuals? Uh, I, we didn't talk about pardons, and I think uh, pardons are kind of a sacrosanct duty of uh, the, the highest office in the land. I, um, uh, I don't really think that it's my purview right now to speak about it, but I can tell you that I think the president should pardon Roger Stone. I think he should pardon General Flynn. I don't even know George Papadopoulos all that well. I think he should pardon George Papadopoulos. I also think he should somehow or another commute the sentence of Paul Manafort, because none of these people would be in any trouble at all. Uh, and uh, uh, besides Paul Manafort, who you know has been found guilty of real crimes, the other people I've spoken of have done nothing wrong. And I believe that they deserve uh, uh, the attention of the president at any level that the president can give it. How much money has this cost you? Well, we've got well over $200,000 in legal fees so far, and I think we're going to have more because um, you know that the, de- the Attorney General of New York State is now um, uh, conducting her own witch hunt uh, regarding the president's uh, interest in buying the Buffalo Bills. You know, I live outside of Buffalo. I was involved uh, in that purchase in, in a small way, in a temporary way, and I'm sure I'm going to be called in to, uh, for that for interviews. Will you uh, cooperate? Who knows what the House Democrats are going to do? You know, I've already announced that I don't plan to testify again on Russian collusion because it was a hoax. And if Representative Nadler, for example, wants me to come in like his chief attorney told my attorney, uh, if they subpoena me, I'll go. But I'll be uh, giving them the Fifth Amendment all the way through. Uh, I'm finished talking to the Democrats about this Russia hoax. I think everybody should be done with it. Uh, I'm going to take the Fifth. I'm not telling anybody else to do it. But I think everyone should. Do you think the president's nervous about an impeachment trial? Uh, if, if he was nervous, I didn't catch it at all on Wednesday. And we talked about impeachment. You know, I think I mean, he didn't tell me this, but I think it's entirely possible that the president is pursuing a, a, a briar patch strategy here, you might call it, where he's trying to goad and the, the Democrats into wanting to impeach him. Because from my perspective, if you look at history, impeachment is not a very, it, it was, probably won't end well for the Democrats. In fact, I think they'll pay dearly at the polls for it. It's not even clear that they could succeed at impeaching him in the, in, the, in the House of Representatives. He certainly won't be removed by the Senate. But from my perspective, personally, I think it is a metaphysical certitude that the Democrats in the House are going to impeach the President of the United States. What did you and Trump talk about having to do with impeachment, specifically? Well, I mean, he waved it off. Uh, we talked about it. I, I told him I thought that, uh, that they were going to impeach. And I don't want to go through chapter and verse, you know, because... He says no. He says he's not again, worried about it. Stay there, you know. But but he is. But, he's uh, been out on pub- uh, he Michael. He's been off. out publicly saying that he he's not worried about it. He doesn't think it's going to happen. He said that to the cameras. You think just the opposite? No, I, I think it's going to happen. I don't think he cares. 
I don't think he's worried about it. I think he believes, like I do, that the Democrat, it would be a suicide mission for them. But you said earlier, too, that you were going to take the fifth and not cooperate with Congress. Are you prepared to be held in contempt? And perhaps maybe could they throw you in jail? I'm not going to be held in contempt by asserting my constitutional rights. I will certainly go if I'm subpoenaed, but I will take the fifth on everything. You know, I've, I've, I've testified three times already. Each time it cost me half a year's salary. I was asked the same questions each time, and I told the truth every time. But somehow the Senate can't talk to the House, and the House can't talk to the Senate, and Congress can't talk to, to Mueller. All these federal investigators jealously guarding the answers they get from witnesses that they bankrupt. I'm not willing to go play this game anymore. I don't have to as an American citizen. I have a Fifth Amendment right. If they want to see my answers to those questions, they can take a walk down the hall to the House Intelligence Committee and go into the skiff and read my testimony. Because you know what? I can't have my testimony when I want to read it. It's very clear to me that if uh, you know, 19 prosecutors and 40 FBI agents, 13 of those prosecutors uh, – uh, Democratic supporters of Hillary Clinton and Bob Mueller, uh, uh, who is a you know say what you will about him, he is a tough investigator. If they can't find Russian collusion, Jerry Nadler's not going to find it. So we know your position about the collusion aspect of this, but do you acknowledge <laughs> that <laughs> to say the least? But do you acknowledge that Russia did meddle in the 2016 election because that's a that's another huge issue um, for folks just acknowledging it that it happened um on july i want to say 25th uh as uh, the republicans were gleefully sorting through and the media was gleefully sorting through all the emails that were uh, uh that were released by wikileaks i tweeted out the following uh we're all having a great deal of fun with these leaked emails but this is a provocation from russia and something must be done about it stat that's word for word i've never deleted that tweet I got hell for it from friends of mine who thought that it was over the top. I have always thought that, uh, that the, the Kremlin was messing in our elections because they mess everybody's elections. You know, we mess around a bit in people's elections, too. But at the fact of the matter is I haven't liked the way uh, that the administration has kind of, tr you know, the president doesn't like to hear about Russian meddling in the election, and people around the president don't like it because they think it's a Democrat ruse to demean his electoral victory. Now, I think we're kind of past that now. I believe the president knows that, that Putin was messing around in our elections. Our country needs to be paying attention to this. This administration needs to be paying attention to this. But remember, it happened under the watch of Barack Obama, and he did nothing. So we all should be more uh, alert to what Russia is doing in our country. Thank you very much. Thanks, Michael. Thank Thanks. you so much for your time. When we come back, we're going to head to Capitol Hill, which is going to be the story of the week this week. And we're joined by a woman who led many congressional investigations, Barbara Comstock. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Investigation. I'm Chris Flasto, Senior Executive Producer here at ABC News and your podcast co-host. With me are Kira Phillips, our investigative correspondent, and John Santucci, one of the senior reporters and producers here on the task force. 
This is a big week in Washington. Bill Barr is scheduled to be on the Hill on Wednesday with the Senate Judiciary Committee, where he's going to be forced to defend his actions on the release of the Mueller report and why he did certain things. But the battle with Congress is going to continue for a while over the next two years, and there's going to be a lot of investigations. Jerry Nadler and the House Judiciary Committee and Elijah Cummings of the Oversight Committee are going to be investigating every nook and cranny of this presidency. And we have with us a woman, Barbara Comstock, who I knew very well in the 1990s, was a lead investigator on the House Oversight Committee. So she knows how to investigate a president. So we wanted her insights on what's going on here in Capitol Hill. So, Barbara, you've been back and forth publicly about how you feel about Donald Trump. How do you feel about him now that the Mueller report is out? I'd like to talk about how I feel about the Justice Department and Bob Mueller and Bill Barr, Rod Rosenstein, Chris Wray at the FBI. I think that they did their job as we had all I had, I had called for um, an independent counsel before uh, Rod Rosenstein had named Mueller. I also said I trusted Mueller to do a fair job. Uh, people often forgot that, you know, when he got in there, he was the one who took, like, Struck and Page off the case. You know, they talked about him a lot, but, it's like, he was the one who removed them. And I think he did a fair job. And, you know, the report that Bill Barr turned over had very few redactions particularly on the obstruction front. So, you know, Mueller said, you know, there wasn't a conspiracy and they didn't find anything on, you know, the original charge that they were given. And then when it came to the obstruction case, they kind of gave it a jump ball and decided to leave it uh, to Congress and to the Justice Department. Uh, uh, Bill Barr turned it over, warts and all. And, you know, they were, before the report came out, the, you know, the Democrats in Congress were complaining it's going to be redacted, we're not going to see anything. And now they've, you know, that's not the argument anymore, right? But, do you, but Barbara, do you think Bill Barr spun it a little bit? Do you think he made a mistake by doing the, two, the letter first and then putting out the whole report a month later? No, I don't. And I think, you know, he did sit down and do this all with Rod Rosenstein. And we remember Rod has been beaten up over the past few years uh, by the Trump White House, by people on the outside. And he had Rod sit down with him, go through it that first weekend, and then he kept him on, which he didn't have to do, and had him go through that process. But even for someone who does think they don't like what Bill Barr said. That doesn't matter now because you have the whole report. In Congress, it's it's no longer a legal matter. It's a political matter. And do you think it's impeachable? I think it's a, as we proved in the 90s with Clinton, it's going to be uh, pointless to do it because he won't be convicted in the Senate. So I guess it would be much like what was done with Clinton. They can impeach him in the House. They have the votes if they want to, if they decide to engage on this. But it will not, there will not be a conviction in the Senate. So then what would be the point? And I think it's pretty clear that the Trump White House is not going to engage. I look at what Bob Mueller did, whoever you want to believe, but most of these guys were not Trump-friendly prosecutors. They turned over everything everything they could and they couldn't they didn't get it to that bar but i saw from your long pause in answering that question <laughs> was that you thinking that there is some basis 
to be disturbed, that you're disturbed by some of that on the obstruction of justice or not? No, more that I think I'm thinking about politically, what are they looking at? There's no Russia conspiracy case. So that was the original case. So, and I think, how do you then indict on an obstruction of justice when you weren't obstructing an underlying crime. I think the concern that everyone should have been focused on all along, including the president, was the original case, which all of his national security and intelligence people say there was interference by Russia, but they weren't involved in it. So I understand he felt he was wrongly accused of being involved in it. I I think Dana Milbank wrote, you know, just they weren't capable. There wasn't mm-hmm. a campaign there that was capable of a conspiracy. I, I would agree with that. Do you but see anything that should be investigated right now? I mean, you've looked at, you've gone through what's out there. I if, did read through the report. And I think the things that people found troubling or you look through, these are things that are, people not only already knew about the president, but they knew about before he was elected president. You know, the the temperament things, you know, how, how he was dealing with people, what what he was telling Don McGahn or whoever to do. And and I do think the system worked here. I mean, I think you have the professional lawyers in the White House Counsel's Office, at the Justice Department, doing what they were supposed to do in granted a difficult decision a situation with how this president operates in a very unorthodox manner. And obviously, you know, uh, by the discussion from Don McGahn, very challenging. But at the end of the day, there wasn't an underlying conspiracy there. There was just, you know, a clown car of people who were involved in that original campaign. I mean, nobody would have hired Paul Manafort in a real campaign. Nobody would have ever let any of these chuckleheads come in and work on your campaign. And and it's interesting that those are the people, you know, whether it was a Michael Cohen who had long, you know, in whatever he muddled around with, um, you know, these people who were just kind of coming in off the street and Mm -hmm. saying, hey, I want to help you on foreign policy. And these are people who didn't know anything about foreign policy. They just couldn't get on any other campaign. So you really did have people who, and, and, you know, in fairness to Donald Trump, he didn't know the campaign world. And it wasn't until September, October that he brought in people who had actually worked on real campaigns. Mm -hmm. And those people weren't in any way Steve Bannon said we couldn't collude with the local RNC chairmen. They they, they didn't know how to do that. Yeah, well, and nobody would have – yeah, I mean, none of those guys would have ever sat down and met with those people and had that June meeting. So the people in the June meeting didn't know what they were doing. So they weren't in a position to, you know – get engaged in a conspiracy. But I don't think, um, you know, it's been helpful for how, um, say, Rudy Giuliani has been talking about this or talking about, hey, it was okay for them to do that. Nobody would have done that. Would you be on board with any of the investigations that are going on right now or Dems just wasting their time? Do you see anything that has legs right now with regard to investigating Trump, the Trump administration? Well, I think everything was out there. And a lot of what was in the report was what a lot of the things people kind of knew or had heard about sort of off the record before. So there's not a lot of new information there. And if if the House, which is the only side that really can move forward, were to sit down and talk with their Senate Democrat counterparts, I would think they would tell them there's not a whole lot more here to go with. So if you want to impeach, you have the votes. If you if you decide that's what you want to do politically. But is that I'm not saying territory? that that's legally what they should do. They they're making a political calculation now. And I think if they move, you know, 
they've already said they're, I mean, the White House has already said they're not going to allow people to go up there, which is their right. And if they um, hold them in contempt, then it is the Obama administration, as well as the Bush administration, that already established that, hey, we're not going to prosecute these things when they come up and are political. So this has gotten so polarized. If they do a contempt report for them not coming up, they go to the floor, they spend all this time, that's all this time they're not going to be doing infrastructure or health care or prescription drugs. And do they want to take that political um, cost? So do you believe they're wasting do? time? Well, I think it won't, it won't go anywhere, ultimately. I mean, there are some that have clearly said we want to do it. They will even go so far as to do inherent contempt which most people aren't familiar with inherent contempt, but that's when you actually have the sergeant of arms go get the person. So say if they wanted to go get Don McGahn, bring him in to the House floor, they try him at the bar, it's called. So you would have to like stop Congress, have a trial on the House floor of him being in contempt, and then you have to decide if the, if the sergeant at arms can jail him somewhere, either... Within is the there a jail in Congress? This is inherent contempt. You can no. only do it during the Congress. And imagine the uproar of When's doing the last that? time we've yeah, seen something like that? That's in the early 1900s or so. The Congressional Research Service has done reports on this. We used to joke about doing this in the 90s. Nobody ever considered doing <laughs> it. If the Democrats choose to do that, I think it will be at great cost to themselves because then it'll just be political theater. It won't be this you're bringing up witnesses and you're getting to any new information. Right. I mean, the information was all in the report. I don't, I'm not sure what new information so, they think let, they'll let, get. Well, that's what I want to ask you about. So, I mean, you know, uh, people now know that you were a member of Congress, but prior to that, I mean, your background is that you were an investigator. Um, so if you were in this world right now, it seems like you saw the Mueller report, okay, we've moved on from that. But the Democrats are not stopping. You've seen every committee dropping subpoenas. They're asking for information. What does a House investigator do right now? What information do they go for? Where could they go that perhaps after you look through the report, you would say, oh, that's an area Bob Mueller really didn't touch? Well, that's I think first they should go and sit down and talk to the Senate and put together what do we have? What do we already have that we know what's in the report and what things do we really not know? I think what they really want to do is just have public theater. And I think what the White House is saying, which is their prerogative, is we're not going to play. Except Congressman Swalwell was on our podcast, and he was making the point that when you hear from Barr or if you hear from Mueller or maybe key witnesses like Don McGahn, then it will resonate to people and that people out in America haven't read the 438-page report. And that's a way that then they'll come on board, perhaps, the impeachment mm -hmm. parade. Well, I think there were polls before the report came out saying nobody was going to change their mind <laughs> before the report came out. And I think that's somewhat been demonstrated since the report came out. And they're going to get to hear from Mueller. I mean, he will go up there, I imagine. Bill Barr is the acting is attorney coming, general, right. so he will. I, I don't know. I mean, Rod Rosenstein is leaving, so maybe he won't want to go and doesn't have to. Um, and But 
But Don McGahn's a private citizen now, and he if they drag him up there and do that, all they're trying to do is set up some kind of perjury trap. And if I were his counsel, or I'm sure other counsel would say, you've done your thing, you know, you gave 30 hours, um, I don't need to play mm-hmm. in this anymore. I did what I was legally obligated to do, and uh, they they have the information. I mean, if they want to go subpoena the documents from the Justice Department or go through a court case of his 30 hours of interviews, that's always available. But I would imagine the Justice Department would oppose doing that as they it is their right. But this is now all political and it's all a political fight, not a legal but, fight. But anymore. to your point, though, about political theater, I mean, one of the things that we've been talking about is that it is kind of surprising that you have the Democrats now almost five months in power. They've only had one political theater show, if you will, Michael it didn't Cohen. Go too well. <laughs> well, that was, well, that was the one and only. I mean, did, did that? Does it surprise you though that it's been? so slow or are they going about this the right way taking their time i mean i mean if you were there right i mean i know you're not a democrat you're not going to give them free advice but how would you be coaching a committee to go about this right now bring everybody in or they need more time they need to uh, make sure when they bring somebody in it's a home run i mean what's the barbara comstock book of advice Oh, boy, to the day. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't really need to give the Democrats <laughs> advice on Just give it to us. how to do this. But I, I think they, they have a split right now within their caucus of people who were elected talking about they wanted to work on some issues. And now, even though, if they've only, even though they've only had the Michael Cohen hearing, still all anyone's seeing on TV has been this back and forth partisanship, you know, from both sides. So... For those who are frustrated and want something done, if you're in a hard blue district, that's probably all they want you to do. But if you're in a swingier district and this is not your priority, I mean, you've seen some Democrats already saying, well, hey, I had a town hall and nobody came in and talked about this. But I think I don't think they have staff who really are, um, you know, up for doing this or kind of understand a lot of the legal ramifications because you know when we had um back in 2007 when they tried to go after the bush administration and then went to court it took two years to play it out so the clock ran what we did back in the 90s was we actually resolved it you know when we did two contempt reports one against janet reno one against jack quinn to get documents there was somewhat of a compromise in turning over documents, which we then agreed to. How, how well, does that work? Back, and, and what was effective for you then? Well, well, we did, but we were also doing the legal work and doing the back and forth, and we compromised. I don't think the polarization that's on the outside now allows for that, even that kind of uh, thing to be done. You think right now compromise is impossible? Well, I, I think both sides have made pretty clear they this is all political. You know, I think the president understands that they want to drag this out and make it. It's all a campaign issue. I think they're very split on will this help us or will it not? And I, I honestly, you know, can't say. I mean, I. I well, Dave Philip, Bossie was on our podcast and he thought it would backfire. It would back, 
And and that and the president does have a way of making things backfire and, and using things against them. So I think that's there's a strong case to be made for that. Philippe Reigns, mm-hmm. who is a Hillary Clinton person, wrote a piece recently saying, well, no, actually, the continued investigations up to the 2000 election actually helped Republicans prevail and um, prevail in Congress until 2006. So his argument is no, go whole hog, which I think Hillary Clinton Well, except she became, I would argue that she became senator from New York because of the impeachment of the president. And I don't think uh, Hillary Clinton's political advice maybe is necessarily something that the Democrats want (laughs) to take because it hasn't been that wise overall. Barbara, months ago I asked you, what would you be investigating when we look at what everybody's looking into and talking about? And I said, if you were in our position, what would you be looking into knowing what you know and and your background? And you said, follow the money. Did you mean follow Trump's money, his charities, his businesses, his past? What did you mean by follow the money? Well, I think some of the investigations are tied up in the money. Not, I think on this investigation, Anything that was that might have been financially related has been looked into, but the ones that got assigned elsewhere, whether it's, and this is where there might be some um, things where the White House may not be able to cut off of something like the golf course and people, you know, um, illegal aliens who are hired there. Because if you can go after bank records, we were able to get bank records. If there are bank records that can be subpoenaed. It's hard to block that. We didn't have anyone who was able to block them. Now, I think the president has indicated that he will try and block anyone going after his bank records right. and that there, we never ran into that. That would be a new legal so, so, so the action, case if they the, do that. The action the president took this week where he filed that injunction that prevented um, investigators from going and contacting his accounting firm for records that's new ground that something you have not seen from your experience in the past. Yeah, no, yeah, we didn't. The, I guess since the Clintons hadn't been successful in Whitewater, they didn't have like a whole money. business to right. to go and investigate. But it, but it is interesting how I guess you know there's so many similarities, but so many differences between where this is actually going because of the fact this president has had such a lucrative business for so long and. It's so spread out. You know, one of the things Chris Christie had said to us is that he felt that the Southern District New York investigation and the New York State Attorney General's investigation could be more damning because of Donald Trump's long financial businesses up there. I, I would agree. And, and Chris would know, certainly from his background as a U.S. attorney. So I think that is, um, you know, you could how they get at those things, but they can you know, whether they get other people to cooperate and how they can get at other documents that may not be in the control of the organization. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about, because the big document that they want right now up on Capitol Hill, you know this, are his tax, tax returns. returns. And we saw his lawyers come out saying, can't do this, the Treasury Department's delaying. Do you actually think that Congress has the right to get his tax returns? We never went after tax returns because that was Nixonian. When you heard tax returns, that all the red flags went up. And when we, we had one prosecutor who briefly worked on the committee who mentioned tax returns, and it was a blow up in the press. And we, it was something that we ne- we said, we are not touching It was like that. the third rail. Yeah, we were not. And that was. So this is very different that they're going at it. Now, 
as a creature of Congress, and I'm not look, I'm, I'm looking at this more as what are your authorities and rights as Congress, not what the Democrats should do. I would argue, having, and I did when I was in Congress, that Congress's authority to subpoena and do those things is pretty thorough. I mean, it is set up constitutionally, you can go pretty far. But then the Justice Department and the executive branch, they can also push back. So when I was over at the Justice Department, after I had been chief counsel on the House committee, my successor was very frustrated that we weren't turning over everything from the Justice Department in a subsequent investigation. But we were also protect. then we were protecting the prerogatives of the executive branch and institutional concerns. So I think there are genuine institutional concerns, both at the Justice Department and the executive branch and in Congress. And that's why I think the speech Rod gave was like, listen, I know everyone else is playing their different roles. My role was to do right by the Justice Department. And he was somebody who had served there for a long time. And at the end of the day, I think that's why Bill Barr keeping him on, having him go through this process, and Bill Barr himself being an institutionalist. That's why I feel comfortable about where this is at legally. But Barbara, going back to our old time during Clinton, I mean, doesn't Donald Trump deserve a little credit in the sense of he's right that he didn't assert any executive right, privileges. Exactly. Yes. He did turn over a million documents. Which the Clintons never would. They, nev- they did claim executive privilege and they claimed a lot of executive privileges. Those were legal cases that were all there that at any point Donald Trump could have said, oh, I'm going to claim. I mean, really, it's fairly stunning that the White House allowed their White House counsel to sit down for 30 hours. And I think that is testimony to that they felt they had nothing to hide, even the warts and all kind of, you know. But does that help their argument for asserting privilege now to Congress? Yes. Yes. To say it's there, someone already independently looked at it, right? Exactly. Like we dealt because I think the argument legally is they gave it within the executive branch and that they preserved their right to claim privilege, but were allowing him to go forward. Then the president said to Bill Barr, I'm not going to because he could have in that report taken all of that out, said it has nothing to do with anything because they didn't find anything. But I think Bill Barr rightly kept it in there. And I think the president was right to say, you do right by it, because I think that gives the basis for being able to trust this. And at the end of the day, you still get to see everything, but also know that there wasn't a legal case there. But what do you see? I mean, do you really think, I mean, do the will the Democratic presidential candidates, whoever the nominee is, basically be the boss of this and say either stop the investigations or not. I mean, you and I both were part uh, of the investigative culture. And do you think that actually helped Bill Clinton? I think because he was and this is where the president is playing off of Nancy Pelosi. Now, in a way, I I think the president, when he had the midterms, I think he thought in part, gee, if I if the Democrats win, maybe that'll be better for me and I can play off of them. So there is that line of thought. Now, I would suggest being investigated and having all that aggravation is not helpful either for the president or for the American people. So I think both the president and the American people lose by having this constant 
investigations there. Now, what? Now, when we did it, and even leading up to 2000, George W. Bush was not part of this at all. Remember, he was coming from Texas as a governor, and he wanted to turn the page, and they weren't involved in this at all. And it's different now because all of these candidates who are running are senators and House members are the most viable ones, and they are involved in it. So I think it is going to impact them more. They, they can't say, I'm not part of it, the way Bush was able to kind of run down the field and not be involved in it and have a very robust agenda that he ran on. Whereas, what are you hearing from Democrats these days? But, you know, impeachment and those things, because that's what the news wants to cover. I mean, imagine if this, because if they want to get something or get Don McGahn's testimony, if, if they do something crazy, like do this inherent contempt and bring him in and try him in the House of Representatives, that will be a media circus. And I think that will backfire on the Democrats. I honestly it? have to say, Barbara, this, this sergeant in arms and the inherent <laughs> contempt thing is the the greatest thing I learned today. I always try, <laughs> I always try to learn one new thing yeah. every day, well, and now you taught me well, something. Well, Barbara good. Olson, who had been a House counsel before this, you know, and, and we worked with congressional um, research service people. They went through all the history, and so when we saw that one, we, we always joked about it. But when I saw somebody seriously talking about it, I said, wow, they really are out there. And I think that's the kind of sort of off-the-rails thing that makes, most normal people who are back there, back home thinking in Pennsylvania or Michigan or Wisconsin, What's going this on? is not yeah. what I voted for. That's right. And then when you have the economy doing as well as it did today, exceeding all expectations, you're going to have a president who's going to run on an economy, hopefully. You know, he should focus on that more probably than fighting with Don McGahn or anybody else because a 3.2 percent economy, is, is, I think, is hard to beat. Is there a Democrat right now that you see could give the president a run for his money? I guess two questions, whether the Democrats would nominate somebody who would be electable or would they can they tear themselves away from a Bernie or their left, because I've spent this past semester part-time at Harvard University with a lot of students, most of them Democrats, and when I ask, like, who are they excited about, I don't hear one name. I think you've already seen some shoot up and flame out already. I think Beto is a perfect example of that. I think he's already over. You know, he's sort of like a boy band. You know, they kind of like him. Um, <laughs> Mayor Pete has taken that oxygen. Yeah, yeah. now he's taken the boy band uh, role uh, position. And interestingly, we end up, both Republicans and Democrats, where the leading contenders are 70-something white men, which is an interesting dynamic. This was great, Barbara. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks for joining us today. Please be sure to hit subscribe, leave us a rating, and remember that new episodes drop every Tuesday. Thanks to our producer, Trevor Hastings, and we'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Investigation.